Uh, we're going to need to stay close to the microphone. I might take it off and wander around a little bit as well. The seminar is being recorded, so that's why we need to repeat anything that you say to us as well. But we do want to have some interactive time with you. If you were here yesterday, you'll be familiar with the first couple of slides, but for the benefit of those who weren't, just to say what our aim is, we want to learn together from Jesus in terms of how Jesus spoke about the Bible and how he used the Bible, how we can hear, trust and obey Scripture. So some of the questions that we're thinking about are, are we a trusting God and obeying God or Scripture? And I said yesterday that if Scripture is the word of God, if these are God's words, then to obey Scripture is to obey God, because God speaks to us through Scripture. And how does our view of Scripture match with the view Jesus held? So we said some things yesterday, we'll say something more today. And how can we better hear and put into action what Scripture is saying? So we want this I suppose if we put it in ter simple terms, we want to do two things. We want you to leave here excited about reading the Bible and getting into the Bible. And we want you to leave here with a little bit more confidence that as you read the Bible, you'll be able to understand it and then to live in response to it. So we're going to try and give you some practical skills in doing that, especially when Valerie takes over from me uh, later on in the seminar. So the first half, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, something that Jesus said about the Bible. We'll look at a passage of scripture together. And then in the second half, Valerie will lead us through another related passage as we try and uh, put our skills to use. Yesterday, we talked about the problem of where is the Bible amongst all of the other ideas and voices that we listen to? Where is it amongst our traditions and our ideas of who God is? Uh, and how do we make sure that the Bible is what we're listening to? Today we're dealing with a slightly different problem. The problem is, when I sit down to understand the Bible, sometimes it feels so distant. I don't know, maybe nobody else has these problems. It feels, that was so long ago. Where is the relevance of that to me? That was then, this is now. How do I connect from there and then what God was saying to his people into my life here and now? How do I actually understand these words? So we wanna look at a passage of scripture. If you have your own Bible there, I'd encourage you to look at it. Uh, hopefully you can see it on the screen. I know that's not easy at the back if you don't have a Bible. But please um, read along or listen along as I read from John chapter 5. And so these are words that Jesus is speaking again. John chapter 5 verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Now I'm going to pause there just for a second because this word witness and this word testimony are really important concepts in John's gospel and especially in this passage. So as we continue to read through it, Jesus has said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. He's saying it's not, it's not enough well, it's not that it's not enough. It's not that Jesus is not trustworthy and true. But if he only speaks about it, people aren't judging that as being true. So who else is saying that Jesus is who he claims to be? So as we read through, ask yourself that question. What other witnesses? And I'll give you a moment after we've read it to do that again using the sheet in front of you. But just have a look at that as we read. Verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. 
But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, there's a couple of questions on the handout. You should be on the side that starts with the number two, finding Christ in the scriptures. And there are two questions in the little box at the top of that page. The first question, what witnesses to himself does Jesus mention in this passage? So have a look back. If you have your own Bible there, have a look at the passage. What witnesses does Jesus mention? So don't uh, want to get some interaction. It's good to hear from you. I'll repeat what you say for the benefit of the recording. But what what witnesses does Jesus mention? John the Baptist. That's in verse. That's in there anyway. <laughs> it is okay. Thank you. So John the Baptist is is uh, one witness who's there. And if you read earlier on in John's Gospel, when you read about John the Baptist, you'll see there that it talks about him bearing testimony as well. What other witnesses? Moses, okay? So the scriptures bear witness to me, Jesus says. And when Jesus is talking about the scriptures, what does he mean? The Old Testament of the Bible, okay? So the old, what we now call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures are bearing witness. And specifically, he focuses in on Moses. Moses, who is the foundational writer in the Old Testament. Everybody else in the Old Testament is calling people back to faithfulness to what Moses passed on from God. So if you don't believe his writings, Jesus said, how will you believe my words? We have John the Baptist, we have Moses and the scriptures, what else? The Father. The Father bears witness. God the Father bears witness to who Jesus is. Anything else? The works that Jesus does. Yep, so Jesus works his miraculous works, perhaps especially, not only his miracles, his lifestyle, his behavior, his actions. And what else? I think there's one more. It's maybe not just so obvious. Verse 31. If I testify about myself. So maybe that's not so obvious because Jesus starts out by saying, if I only speak about myself, then that's not enough for you on its own. But it is one of the witnesses. So if you look just under the box, there are five spaces there where we can fill in five different witnesses. And let's do that just now and then we'll ask the second question in the box. So you see that list one to five? Verse 31, it's Jesus' words that bear testimony to who he is. The way that he taught. 
And if you go back earlier in John's Gospel, just the previous chapter, chapter 4, you'll see a brilliant example of that, which Gavin has mentioned in the evening celebrations. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus hears, or she hears Jesus, and it's his words that impact her. She goes off to the village and she says, come and meet somebody who told me everything that I've ever done. It's his insight, his wisdom, the profound teaching. And then in verse 33, it's John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist is, is the greatest and the last, if you like, of the Old Testament prophets. But he was there and people had heard him and he had borne witness to Jesus. And then in verse 36, number 3, it's his works. When you skip forward in John's Gospel to chapter 9, you'll find a great example of that. The man who was born blind and Jesus makes him see. And the man goes along and people say to him, who did this? And how did it happen? And he says, I don't really know, but I know that I used to be blind and now I can see. It's the work of Jesus that is testifying to him. And then in verse 37, it's the father who's bearing testimony. The father, of course, spoke from heaven when Jesus was here on earth on a couple of occasions. And then verse 39, the scriptures. So five witnesses in this chapter, which are all bearing witness, what are they bearing witness to? That's maybe not so obvious from this passage. We might need to read the whole of John's gospel to figure that out. But what is it that they're bearing witness to? Who Jesus is, his identity, he is the Son of God, he is the Saviour, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the King, to use uh, Scott's language from the morning Bible reading. So these are, are five things that are pointing towards that reality. Now imagine the scene here in this chapter, chapter 5. We'll come back to this, that, that next part of the, the, the other 6 and 7 in a moment. But if you put yourself in the scene, and I said yesterday, and Valerie said it too, that this is a great thing to do, particularly when we're reading the Gospels or we're reading narrative story in the Scriptures, to imagine yourself in that situation. Now, the picture on the screen is showing Jesus healing somebody. It's, it's at a pool. That's what happens just before the words that we read about in John's Gospel. So the words that we just read. If you look at the heading in your Bible, at the beginning of chapter 5, you'll see that it's the healing at the pool, at least in the NIV that I have in front of me. That's the heading the translators have given it. So this is the setting. Jesus has done something dramatic here. He has brought healing to a man. And now this conversation is opening up. And as you read on down, verse 16 tells us, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And then Jesus begins to speak to them. That relates to what we were looking at yesterday with Valerie, the healing on the Sabbath and the reason they had a difficulty with that. Now imagine yourself there, hearing the words of Jesus. Five things that Jesus says are pointing to him. So why do people not believe? Why does everybody not recognize that Jesus is the king? What's the problem? He doesn't fit their expectations. Scott has pointed that out. He's not fitting their preconceived idea of what God's king should be. So even though all the evidence is there, stacking up, the Father is speaking, the works of Jesus, which match what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do, the words of Jesus, which people said, how can anybody know these things? How can they speak with such authority? John the Baptist and the dramatic ministry that he had had paved the way. The scriptures themselves were pointing to him 
but there was a problem because Jesus says you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life but they are the ones that testify to me they witness to me and you won't come to me in other words they missed the whole point of the scriptures right whatever they were doing with them however well they knew them they had missed the whole point of the scriptures which was to lead them to faith that's what John says about the book that he's writing when you get to the end of John's gospel he says these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God John becomes one of the witnesses another witness and we'll see that in just a second so we've asked the questions what witnesses what do they bear testimony to Jesus words John the Baptist Jesus works the Father the scriptures all pointing to and affirming who Jesus is but when we skip forward in John's Gospel to chapter 15, we see that Jesus talks about two additional witnesses. So John 15 and verse 26. Now, well, let's read those verses first and then we'll ask what's different about these verses, okay? When this counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. What are the two witnesses there? Number six, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who will come. And number seven, us. And there's a question, okay? Because when we read scripture, sometimes we, we jump immediately to that. Now, I'm not, sorry, please, I'm not picking on you. Because that, I think, is how most of us would read it and what we would say, okay? But... Who is Jesus talking about here? He says, for you have been with me from the beginning. Is, is that us? That, that's the disciples, or we might say apostles. Apostles isn't a word that John uses, but he uses the verb sent to mean the same thing. And the reason I think that distinction is important is that it's one of the questions we want to ask when we're reading scripture. Who is being spoken to? And do those words apply directly to me, as in that's a command to you in your situation? Or do they apply indirectly in, in the sense that I learn something about who God is and God is the same and I can live on the basis of that truth? I think in this case it's actually quite important that it's not us, but it is the people who were actually in the room with Jesus at the time, who had been with him from the beginning. Why is it important that it's them? Because they're the ones who will become the witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. They're the ones that Jesus has appointed to be his authorized, authoritative representatives, the apostle. They're the ones who are going to write down the words. John is doing that when you get to the end of John's gospel. I've written these things so that you will believe. Or you see Thomas encountering the risen Jesus as one of these apostles. And Jesus says, you're blessed because you have seen and believed. But blessed are those who will believe because of the message that you're going to spread, right? So the apostles are the foundational witnesses. In a sense, actually, the, we tend to use the word witness to talk about our evangelism, but the Bible doesn't use the word witness that way. It uses the word witness, I think I said this yesterday too, to mean an eyewitness. And these apostles were saying here the basis again for the New Testament, the message that they're going to pass on, the words that they're going to write down, which testify to Jesus. So you have this 
this beautiful thing, if you look at this, you have the triune God together. You have the Father, you have the Spirit, you have the Son testifying to the identity of the Son and his saving power. And you have the Old Testament scriptures and you have the New Testament as well. But you notice that it's the Spirit and the Word. Do you see that? The apostles will do this in the power of the Spirit. And people will come to faith, not just by hearing and believing intellectually the words that they're hearing, that's important, but also by responding to the work of the Spirit in their hearts, faith in Christ, and the transformation that the Spirit brings. So we have these two witnesses, and Jesus talks about them in chapter 15, but he didn't talk about them in chapter 5. Why? Because here's Jesus in the upper room. Chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet. Chapter 14, he begins to teach them. Chapter 17, eventually, he'll pray his wonderful high priestly prayer. He's preparing the apostles for their ministry after he has left them. Right? So, so chapter 15 is adding two new witnesses, which will come after Jesus has gone. You see that? The other five are there while Jesus is here on earth. But these two will only continue after. So we have seven witnesses in John's Gospel to who Jesus is. So how does Scripture bear testimony? How does it witness to Jesus? The Old and the New Testaments, which we see Jesus referring to. He certainly talks about the Old Testament. And he talks about the disciples becoming his witnesses. That's referring to the New Testament. How does the Bible bear witness to Jesus? How do we find Jesus in the Scriptures? Where is he? It's not a case of where's Wally, you know, the kind of exercises those we games that people play and you have to hunt for Wally in the middle of all the, the, the different pictures and people. It's not that we're meant to kind of look at every passage of scripture and dig around until somehow we can squeeze Jesus into it, if I can speak without being irreverent, if I speak that way. But that, that's not what we're talking about here. When Jesus says the scriptures testify to him, they witness to him, he's not talking about every single verse somehow is speaking about me. But he's talking about the scriptures in their entirety. And that means every individual part, yes, but also the whole as it fits together. So one of the things that we can do if we're going to have greater confidence in approaching scripture is to say, how does the Bible fit together as a whole? Where is the big story? We've been thinking about that, I think, in the main tent. How does it fit together? What is that story? That's not to neglect the individual parts, because those make up the story, but they also only make sense within the story. Right? So there are lots of verses in the Old Testament that do speak directly about Jesus' prophecy. There are also lots of passages that don't speak directly about him, but they're stories that show us what a bad king looks like, for example, which makes you think, wouldn't it be brilliant to have a good king? Who's that? Jesus. There are lots of examples of good kings, which make you think, I want a good king. Who's that? That's Jesus. There's examples of problems. Who's the solution to those problems? So everything in that sense leads to him. But how does the big story fit together? So again, in your handout... I put five words there, God, man, God, man, God. And please forgive me for the gender non-inclusive language that is unforgivable in many ways. I mean humanity or humankind rather, but it's too long to fit onto the page. So when I say man here, it is an inclusive term meaning mankind or humankind. I'm talking about man and woman. The big story of scripture in many ways is what we call the gospel. But we we sometimes reduce the gospel to, to a list of points or 
facts or truths. And that, of course, is the gospel. Paul does that in the sense he says Christ died for our sins. He rose again. But then he said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he rose again according to the scriptures. In other words, if we're going to understand why Jesus died or what a Christ is to begin with, or why the Christ needed to die, and why that's such good news, why that's gospel, and why the resurrection matters, how are we going to understand that? Only by understanding it in the context of the scriptures. Yeah? They're the key to understanding the significant significance of the historical events of Jesus. So what is that story? Well, I'm going to suggest five points, and we're thinking from the Old Testament to Jesus, to the New Testament. Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, the inspired Word of God that bear witness to Jesus. And I think there are five movements in the big story, and I like this way of thinking about it because I think it's a good way of thinking about these movements, but also because you can use your five digits to kind of remember it. Okay, So if it helps you to put your hand up and wiggle your fingers if you're able to do that then please do that nobody wants to do that that's okay we're not for all to reserve but if it helps you to do that do that with me so five movements in the story first of all god reigns that's where the story starts isn't it that's where the bible starts genesis 1 god who reigns god who is the king and he's a king and scott has said that who who is governing and then we find out that he's a king who redeems but god reigns he governs he creates, and he creates a good world for us to live in. But then, humankind rebels. I'm squeezing these into five R's just to make them easier to remember, but rebels. Rebellion against God's sin. It's an important part of the story because the next bit doesn't make sense without it. The fundamental problem is this problem of human rebellion against God. We've alienated ourselves from him by rejecting his rule over us. And that's there in the story, isn't it, of the Bible. That's what happens in Genesis 3. And it happens time and time again and throughout the pages of Scripture that we see that God's people time and time again reject and rebel against him. This problem of sin and all of the results of that death, alienation, illness, all of the things that come from it. But God redeems. God is not just the one who is sovereign as, as king in the sense that he governs and reigns. He redeems. And the story of the Old Testament tells us how he redeems a people for himself. He buys them back from slavery out of Egypt. He defeats the gods of Egypt. He delivers them. He takes them into a land that will be their own and gives them the law that is going to give them freedom as they follow it. And then as they continually reject him, he gives more and more prophecies about a coming king, a king who will come in the line of David, the great king, but who will be greater than David, whose kingdom will cover the whole earth and will include not just Israel, but the Gentiles. And then eventually that leads us, this is such a big movement in the story, to the person of Jesus who comes and who speaks about that redemption and then who gives himself as a sacrifice in the Old Testament pattern for our sins to redeem us from sin, from the consequences of sin, death, from the power of Satan, from everything that we need released and redeemed from. God reigns. We have rebelled. God redeems. We 
mankind need to respond. The scriptures give us a whole lot about that, don't they? God calls his people to come to him in faith, to trust in him, to obey him, to live for him, to receive his salvation, to live in the good of that. And the gospel calls people to respond in repentance and in faith. But that's not the end of the story. Sometimes when we tell the gospel, that's where we kind of finish. It's like, okay, you're saved. Now you're going to go to heaven when you die. Off you go. No. God restores. And God restores both now and in the time to come. The great restoration is still future when Jesus comes back again as the restorer of all things, to judge the living and the dead, to bring in the fullness of God's kingdom, the new creation. But now already God is restoring lives. And we can experience the forgiveness of sins, peace, joy, hope, sometimes even physical healing and other blessings like that, although we know that most of that's going to wait for the future. But we already experience God's restoration and we look forward to the great restoration. Now that's not five points, if you like. It is five points, but you know sometimes it's helpful to have a way just to think through what the gospel is. But it's not just the gospel, it's the big story of the Bible, which is what the gospel is. And Jesus is right at the center of it. Do you see that? The redemption of God is right at the center. You might even want to say God the Father is the dominant person up here, God the Son, and it's the Spirit who is particularly involved in restoration. Father, Son, Spirit. We need to have confidence in that big story. We need to know how Scripture speaks about that. That's going to take a bit of time and study. We can't do that in a workshop like this. But we need to have confidence that Scripture makes sense from Genesis to Revelation, from A to Z, that it reveals God to us. And most importantly, it reveals Jesus to us. A few more blanks to fill in in your sheet. Hopefully it's clear by now. We miss the point of Scripture. If we miss, what would you put in there? Jesus, right? If we miss Jesus, we miss the point of Scripture. And God's gift of life, sorry if there's not space to write it in, eternal life that comes through him. If we miss that, then we've missed everything, haven't we? But if we get that, then we've got everything. He is the key. He's the center. There's no point in having a PhD in biblical studies or whatever you might want to have if you don't know Jesus. You don't come to know him and to have eternal life through him. God's word and God's love must become internal to our beings through faith. That's the next point. Jesus says that in the passage. The problem that those guys had was not so much that they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. It wasn't so much that they couldn't see the logic of what Jesus was saying. But it's that their hearts were not near to God. To go back to the passage we quoted yesterday, God's word was not in them, Jesus says. And God's love was not in them. You notice Jesus says both of those things. If you look again at the passage, you'll see that. He condemns them because God's word is just up here. It hasn't got in, or maybe it's just in their ears somewhere resonating around. It hasn't gone into the heart. And as a result of that, God's love isn't in their hearts either. Because when God's word implants in your heart, you become a person who loves like God loves. You move towards God-likeness. And our problem is not primarily that we can't understand the word, but that we won't submit to it. That's the biggest problem we have. 
It's the biggest challenge when it comes to understanding and obeying Scripture. Am I really wanting to say that this Word of God has authority over my opinion, over my life, and I will give everything to say God knows better than I do? So whatever I feel or think, when it conflicts with that, I want to bring that under the authority of what God is saying because I want to live for Him. Now I'm going to bring up the answers to the last part and then hand quickly over to Valerie. But Scripture... Yesterday we said it's divinely, don't write this down, this is yesterday's, it's divinely inspired, true and trustworthy words. Yes it is, but we could also say, well we'll bring up the alternatives in a minute. We said yesterday the problem is it can be sidelined by our traditions. The principle yesterday was we need to understand the background to help us. The lesson was that God wants obedience to his word and heart, or in our word and heart, to his word and in our heart. Scripture is also the big story, this is what we're saying today, of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. The problem here is that the Bible can be misread when we desire glory for ourselves. That's what Jesus said to them. If you're only concerned with your own glory and the glory you get from other people, how are you ever going to see my glory? How are you ever going to know and understand Scripture? The biggest reason that you or I will not hear the Word of God is because I'm more interested in my glory than in God's glory. That's me being honest. We need to be honest about that. But the principle then, repeated words and ideas are going to help us, aren't they? We saw that just by noticing how many times Jesus said witness or testimony. And the lesson, God wants his words and his love to become internal to us. As we read the Bible, if we're not reading it to see how God will change us into true people and loving people, then we're missing the point. Valerie. I asked the question yesterday, was that, was that difficult? <laughs> Certainly you get the feeling there's more we could do, isn't it? Maybe we could, we could spend much longer. We could read some of the books that would help us to give us background information. We could read other parts of scripture that would feed into us. But the exciting thing here is that God is inviting us through his word to come into relationship with him and into his kingdom people. And that's a wonderful thing. And his word is a liberating thing but it's a thing that will guide us, a truth that will guide us to truth in our thinking and in our behaviour if it becomes internal to who we are. Um, and we need, therefore, God's word to be the test of our experience. Any other questions or, or comments? Thanks. I just think, um, I think it's, it's good putting it into context. Yes. Because anything we read, newspapers, whatever, we put those into context. Yes. Yes. You know, especially in the Old Testament, yes. put it in context. And it, it just really reiterated for me how Jesus put the Old Testament yeah. into context yeah. of these two so the comment there for the benefit of the recording and for folks who maybe didn't hear is the idea that it's so important to put it into context and Jesus does that. He puts the Old Testament into context and he puts himself into the context of the Old Testament in a sense. It's not um, I think that's true of our lives of, of faith. You know, we live in the context of Scripture and in the context of the church and church history, which Scott has been talking about this morning as well. So we live in that story, which links right back to Jesus and the apostles that he appointed. The church has existed ever since then uh, and been seeking to understand and obey God's word. Okay, well, I'd encourage you to, to look at the seminar feedback forms. If you could fill one of those in, that would be super and return it to, to Lindsay or leave it on the chair on the way out. There's also uh, some information there on the screen. You'll see my website and a, 
uh, a page on that which has a link to the PowerPoint files from this presentation uh, and also uh, this uh, course which will be running next January and February in Belfast Bible College which I'll be teaching. There's leaflets about that and I know there are leaflets about preset ministries on the chair at the back. Please take those because you can only do so much here but we really want to serve you by helping you with this issue of how to understand God's Word. But thank you very much. I'll pass back to, to Lindsay. Great guys, thank you so much for your participation today. As I mentioned at the beginning, yesterday's handout is here as well if you would like one. Um, and as Paul has mentioned, any feedback you can put on the forms is really helpful for the seminar team for planning next year. Um, and if you have any questions, you know, keep hold of them. We'll be back here tomorrow. Um, so we can feed those questions in there. And I think you'd all just like to say thank you very much to, uh, to Paul and Valerie for the effort they've put in.